Will you please stand with me as we hear the Lord's call to worship? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Let us pray together the invocation that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Father, on this Christmas day, give us eyes to see one foretold by prophets, Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, the Savior of the cross and the Lord of the resurrection. Cause us once more to wonder at the depth of his story and to revel in the greatness of his salvation. Amen. Let us sing together hymn number 208, O Come All Ye Faithful.
Our New Testament scripture reading comes from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 16 through 25. And then we have the responsive reading, which comes from the gospel according to Luke in Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. I will begin by reading Matthew 1, 16 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the end. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Father to teach us. Our Father is a congregation of priests. We bow before you this morning in thanksgiving. 
Our Father, thank you for how you have blessed in this Christmas season at Christ's covenant. For the people that you have added to our congregation. For the people that you've brought to our worship. Father, we thank you for this special time that we have been focused with intensity, deliberately, on the incarnation. Oh, Father, we continue to pray that you will enlarge this truth in our vision that we might understand. That it is the earthquake of the ages, the Son of God, come in the flesh. Father, thank you for these last few weeks and how you've blessed and how you've taught us. Our Father, as your priests, we bow before you now and pray for our friend and brother, Phil Halley. Our Father, we ask that you would give him movement in his arms and his legs and his hands, his toes, his fingers. We pray that he'll be able to eat, to swallow, all of those things, Father, they're in your hand. And we pray that you would bring these things to be. Restore him, Father. We pray for Sally. Give her strength. Our Father, we pray most of all that you'll draw them both close to you during this time. Increase their faith. We pray for David Rule and Father that this swelling will go down quickly and that this surgery will be able to be done and that it will accomplish what it's designed to do. Bring relief from the pain. Father, bless Jimmy Lou. Yes, that this matter in her house would be settled and these uh, pipes would be restored repaired we thank you for her and for father her music the music that she brings to our congregation father we pray for our friend Ruffner Murray this morning we pray that father you would cause him to look forward with anticipation to what you have prepared for him Bless Judy, comfort her and cause her to be a comfort to Ruffner. And now we open your word. And Father, these folks know and you know that I know that I can't speak in such a way that it will make any difference in our lives. I can't speak so that we're affected and changed the core of our very being. So we bow before you. Teach us, Father. 
We're your children. Tell us a story one more time. Deepen our understanding. Grow us in our love. Thank you, Father, for your presence. We pray now. In Jesus' name, amen. Living and celebrating the incarnation and salvation in a fallen world. In the last four weeks, we've focused on the immensity of the incarnation of the Son of God. As we've studied that, every Sunday, we have received from Scripture a clarion call to celebrate. This year, I have read card after card that spoke of the joy and peace of Christmas. That theme has been echoed from this pulpit for the last month. Yet, every one of us here this morning have experienced very difficult times prior to or during a Christmas season. Maybe not so much this season. Maybe you did this season. But we can all recall times in the Christmas season where there's been a real devastation in our lives. Well, in this passage, in Matthew and Luke, we read about the birth of Jesus, and it speaks directly to this issue. It answers the question. How indeed do we live and celebrate the incarnation and salvation in a fallen world? Look at the birth of Christ. It, had, it was, doesn't seem to be the best of times. Not in Israel. Israel was under the monolithic, crushing weight of the Roman army. Then there were the events of that last year that had literally turned the life of Mary and the life of Joseph upside down. It all began with a teenage girl becoming pregnant before her marriage was consummated. Then there was Joseph being put through the anguish of mistrust and shame. Then there was this inconvenient trip to Bethlehem during the last month of her pregnancy. Joseph had to leave his job. He had to leave his carpentry shop. Mary was very pregnant. Think about that trip in the last days of her pregnancy, walking or riding a donkey for a hundred miles. That's what she did. There was no place for them to stay in Bethlehem, only a barn or a cave that served as a place where the animals were kept. That's all that was available. And such providence just kept on coming right there in that barn. That's where she went into labor. How many 
you ladies, do you know anyone that gave birth to a child in a barn? Yet, that very night, the angels were calling them to celebrate. Mary and Joseph went through even more humiliation. Their child's first bed was a manger, a feed trough in that barn. Now, for us, that's become a quaint thing. It's sort of like a pastoral scene. We sing away in a manger. We have manger scenes. But I've never seen a manger scene. or no, They look glorious. They look pastoral. But I've never seen a manger scene that smelled like a barn. That smelled like animals. Or where you heard the sound of animals chewing. The odor. The barn. How many parents want to have their baby in a barn with dirt and dust and the noise and smell of animals? How many want our first, our baby's first bed to be an animal feed trough? And then, you know, they just didn't come have the baby and return to Galilee. They waited while she recovered. While they were waiting Some strange men came bringing gifts. That was good. Except these very men unwittingly had given away the fact of this unusual birth and where the baby actually was. And the paranoid King Herod over in Jerusalem was insane and jealous. And because of the insanity of Herod, they had to flee. They had to get completely out of the country. So Joseph and Mary took their baby and went to Egypt. Now that's in the opposite direction of Nazareth. They became refugees. Now think about it for a minute. Just nine months before, they had been planning a marriage. Everything was copacetic. In Nazareth, they weren't making any plans like this. Then there was Herod's purge of the babies in Bethlehem. They certainly heard about that. The cry of the mother's weeping because of his cruelty. It was a number of years before Joseph and Mary finally returned to Nazareth. So why were those angels singing and calling for celebration in the middle of all this inconvenience? Murder, darkness, pain. We need to answer that question because, folks, we're called by the gospel to celebrate the goodness of God, even in the worst of times. We're called by Christ to celebrate in the middle of the pain, the inconvenience, the broken relationships, the sickness, and the death of this world. On this Christmas Day, We came from celebrations last night. That's how we came into church this morning, talking about what we did after the service last night. And that's what Christ called us to do. That's a good thing. It's a holy thing. And it's going to continue. When we leave here, 
We go back to the party. We go back to the feast. Are we sticking our heads in the sand, ignoring the reality of a world filled with pain and death? You see, the presence that we receive and that we give and the feasts are directly tied to the birth of Jesus. I've been more aware of this, I think, this year than any Christmas. I don't know why the rest of the world celebrates Christmas. I don't. This is, we're celebrating the birth of the Son of God coming to flesh. And yet, as I've thought about this, I have celebrated Christmases and Thanksgivings with individuals when they knew that unless God intervened, they were not going to be there the next Thanksgiving or the next Christmas. Several years ago on Christmas Eve, a wonderful family came to our celebration, our family celebration at home on Christmas Eve after they had come to the service at church. The young mother in that home knew that unless God intervened, she would not be in our home the next year. She wouldn't be at the service the next year. She died just before Christmas in the next year. How could that family be singing on Christmas Eve, her last Christmas Eve? How could they be at the party? How could they celebrate Christmas the next year? If we look at these passages, which relate the birth of Christ, we have an answer. It's right there, just shouts at us. First, I want you to see that we need to know, if we're going to do this, we need to know God is on his throne. The passage in Luke shouts to us, God was on the throne. It shouted to Joseph, God is on his throne. We read the words just a moment ago, those famous words. I love these words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. What does that have to do with the birth of Christ? I'm going to tell you about the birth. Well, Caesar's in Rome, and he put out an edict. The whole world's going to be taxed. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up. Actually, he went south. He went down, we would say here. He was in the north. And they said up because Bethlehem was near Jerusalem and they were on top of a mountain. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee and Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. Do you know what those words mean? They are shouting to us, God is on his throne. Hundreds of years before the prophets had carried the news from God. The prophet Micah had said, this Messiah that's coming to Israel, he will be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. How could that be? Gabriel must have gotten it wrong. He must have gotten the wrong address because he goes to Nazareth to Mary. What does she have to do with Bethlehem? 
She's getting ready to get married in Nazareth. She's going to have her children in Nazareth. How could it be? He has to be born. He has to be born. Has to be born. In Bethlehem. That's what God said. God would take them there. He would move in the heart of a ruler far away in Rome. He would put it in his mind to levy a tax. Don't you love that? God showed that he ruled, not Caesar. He could use Caesar to bring about his desires and his will. Can't you just see Luke sitting with Mary many years later? That's how he knew all of this. He had to interview her. Mary, how did you get to Bethlehem? What were you doing down there? Luke chose Mary's answer to become what has, or to begin what has become one of the most famous passages of literature of all times. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken. Do you understand? That's how Luke begins his story. Luke would have loved what Chuck Swindoll, Dr. Chuck Swindoll wrote about this. And I put it on your scripture sheet purposely. I hope you take it home. I hope you see it. I hope you read it. I keep this. Some of you, those of you that have heard me preach over the years, have heard this before. And uh, I put it out for you so that you could read it to your family this Christmas, read it to your family next Christmas, and we're going to read it right now. Who could have cared about the birth of a baby while the world was watching Rome in all of her splendor? Bounded on the west by the Atlantic, on the east by the Euphrates, on the north by the Rhine and Danube, on the south by the Sahara Desert, the Roman Empire was as vast as it was vicious, political intrigue. Racial tension, increased immorality, and enormous military might occupied everyone's attention and conversation. Palestine existed under the crush of Rome's heavy boot. All eyes were upon Augustus, the cynical Caesar, who demanded a census so as to determine a measurement to enlarge taxes. At that time, who was interested in a couple making a long trip south from Nazareth? What could possibly be more important than Caesar's decision in Rome? Who cared about a Jewish baby born in Bethlehem? God did. Without realizing it, the mighty Augustus was only an errand boy for the fulfillment of Micah's prediction. A pawn in the hand of Jehovah, a piece of lint on the pages of prophecy. End quote. When Joseph had to leave his job behind, God was on the throne. When Mary had to travel so near delivery date, God was on the throne. When they had no place but a barn to stay, God was on his throne. When they had to flee to Egypt, God was on his throne. When the Magi brought those gifts, God was on his throne providing for their trip to Egypt. Do you know what, do you know what Satan's greatest consternation is? It's when the darkness and pain have done their best, and the people of God still celebrate God. Remember what Satan said when God said, hey, what about my servant Job? And Satan said, hey, you're so good to Job. Well, of course he loves you. 
Just let the bottom fall out. Just let the hail come. Just let the minus five temperature fall. He'll curse your name, God. And God allowed that. And Job didn't curse the name of God. He kept on celebrating the name of God. That's the greatest consternation Satan has. You know why it bothers him so? Because the Christian is reminding Satan that it's God who reigns, not him. Satan hates that. In the 1930s, Stalin ruled Russia with an iron fist. Imagine living under that. Just imagine living under that. What it did to Christians. In the small town of Stavropol, there was a woman who loved God. She had a Bible that she studied. She didn't have much. She had a Bible she studied. She had a church that she could attend, but she was persecuted. Her church was closed. It wasn't enough to close the churches. They came to the houses and confiscated the Bibles. Her church closed, her Bible taken. Before she died, she saw her grandson grow up to be an atheist. But she kept praying in spite of having no church, in spite of having no Bible, in spite of a grandchild forsaking the faith, she still prayed. The Lord took her home. No church, no Bible, a grandson. Didn't seem her prayers were answered. After the Iron Curtain fell, a Christian group came to Strav. They were having trouble as they witnessed, they were having trouble getting Russian Bibles. Someone told them that there were Bibles stored in a warehouse in Stravropo. They were the Bibles that Stalin confiscated. They hadn't been burned. And the Christian group asked the authorities, can we get the Bibles? Yeah, if you want them. So they hired some men. These were thousands of Bibles. And they hired some men to help them load the Bibles. One of the men, who he was an atheist, he had never read a Bible. So he stole one, took it home to read it. When he opened it, he was shaken to the depths there on the fly leaf of that one Bible was his grandmother's name. He sat down and read. He could not stop. He read her notes. The God whom he did not think existed slammed into his life. Stalin took her Bible. Stalin closed the church. But years later, in the providence of God, a grandson would be a thief. He would be one of the hired men to move those Bibles. God's on his throne. May not seem like it. May not look like it. The Lord may take you home before your grandchild is saved. He's on his throne. 
when darkness and pain well no let's ask this what pain or darkness have you tried to forget this Christmas see that's what we do we say all right for the Christmas I'm going to hide it I'm going to put it away like you file it in your computer files in your computer bank and have this brief interlude of relief don't do that go home today and snatch it out of that file and look it right in the eye and say God is on his throne the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ he reigns period the second answer is this a savior was born and sin and death were defeated what did the angel tell the shepherds but the angel said to them do not be afraid I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be for all the people today in the town of David a savior has been born to you he's Christ the Lord from what would he save them save them from the Romans nope save them from the oppression of Rome nope save them from poverty no Look at Matthew 1.21. What did the angel say? Or not the angel. In the vision, what did God say to Joseph? She will give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. God was preparing to break the back of sin and death. The beginning of the end had come. Joseph and Mary did not know that was the reason for the singing, but God did. This is good news of great joy. All through Jesus' life, they kept trying to say, it's about the Romans, isn't it? You, you've come to deal with the Romans. And Jesus kept saying, no, something much more dangerous than the Romans. John the Baptist would say, there, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus would say to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, that where I am you may be also. Paul said, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Paul wrote, death, he pulled out the bank. He pulled the thought out. He pulled the darkness out. And he said, death, where's your sting? Where's your sting, death? Where's your victory? You don't have one. Why could Paul say that? He could say that for one reason and only one reason. Because a Savior had come and broken the power of sin and death. What is the worst? That sin and evil. You know, I don't want to be persecuted. I think it's coming. I don't want to be persecuted. What's the worst that sin and evil and Satan and death can do? Death says, I will take you. I will slay you. There's only one answer then I will be with Christ. He's conquered you. Well, I'll, I'll take your husband or wife. Then they will live with Christ, and I'll see them again shortly. 
Then I will take your child. Well, I will certainly weep, but not for him, because he will be with Christ. And in a short time, I shall see him again. Think about it. God sent the angels to sing, even though he knew that this babe would endure the agonizing pain and die a young man on a cruel Roman cross. God knew that. God the Father knew that. But God did not let that future pain rob him of celebrating the birth. Satan comes and he says, you have sinned. John, you have a heart that cannot stand the light of total exposure. I wouldn't want to do that. Satan says, I'll stand you before God. Expose all your sin. Stand me before God. And not even God will be able to bring a charge against me because Christ has died. He says that. Who can bring a charge? Because Christ has died. God was on his throne. His Savior was born and sin and death were defeated. And finally, God has come to build his kingdom on earth. And heaven is guaranteed. Look at Luke 1, 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for his forever, and his kingdom will never end. Whatever kingdoms there are in this world, Russia, China, Germany, the United States, they will end. They will surely end. His kingdom will never end. Wherever Jesus went, wherever he went, he pushed back the darkness, this darkness that we're talking about. He pushed it back. He made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the paralyzed to walk. He brought God's word to men and women's hearts. And he said his kingdom would go to the ends of the earth. How far How far would his kingdom go in this dark world? How far? Far. We're going to sing it in a minute. Far as the curse is found. Wherever his kingdom goes, churches are built. Schools are built. Hospitals are built. Why? Because Jesus is still pushing back the darkness. Sadly, many of us simply will not embrace the gospel that we say we believe. When darkness comes, we forget that God's on his throne. We forget that the back of sin and death has been broken. We forget that the kingdom is going to the end of the ages, into eternity. We're like spiritual eors. And Winnie the Pooh gets invited to a party. Uh, I didn't get an invitation. 
No, you're invited. Um, no, that was Piglet that got invited. No, it's you. You got an invitation. Okay. Mistake, no doubt. I'll come, but don't blame me if it rains. <laughs> Jesus has invited us to celebrate in this fallen world. He's invited us to party. A party that begins here and goes into eternity and it's never over. I will celebrate this afternoon. And I want to tell you why. It's sobering. See, we celebrate Christ's coming in the incarnation. He did. That's taken place. But do you know him? It doesn't, his incarnation doesn't mean a thing if he hadn't invaded your life in the way that he invaded this world. I'll celebrate this afternoon. And I'm not a, it, it's not a far off incarnation with which, from which I'm disconnected. I'll celebrate this afternoon because I know where I would be if it had not been for the kingdom of God in my parents' home. I know where I would be if it weren't for the kingdom of God in my house, in Jesus, in my life. It would be miserable. It would be dark. I can't imagine the wickedness. Oh, I can't imagine the wickedness of which I'm capable and which would be in my life if it weren't for Jesus Christ. I once heard of a young lady, beautiful young lady. She was in her 20s. Lived a life that of, she was a celebrity in the sports world. And she stood before a group of women in a school that should have been Christian but wasn't. And these girls were just mesmerized by her presence. And she made it very simple. She stood before them and said, you can have my trips to Paris my trips to New York. You can have my clothes. You can have my husband. Everything that I hold, you can have. But you can't have my Jesus. She'd grown up in a pagan home. And she knew the difference Christ made. That's why I'll celebrate this afternoon. My family will eat and drink today. We'll laugh. We will give each other gifts. We'll sleep in peace. How can we do that? 
We don't know what the darkness will bring next week. We don't know what the pain, what pain will we will have to face. But we know this. God is and always will be on his throne. A Savior has been born in sin and death have been defeated forever. And we know God is building his kingdom on this earth. And in our home. And we know heaven is guaranteed by the power of Christ. Do you know what's really dark? What's really, really dark? Consider where your life would be if Jesus had not invaded your life in your home. That's a reason to celebrate. There's only one hymn to sing after this message. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Hymn number 195. Let the people of God look up and receive the Lord's benediction. May the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, may he equip us with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us.
that which is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. Amen.